Welcome back to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder. This week, we are getting ready to kick off Perform Better's Meeting of the Minds. Now, Meeting of the Minds is their approach to what they typically do when all restrictions are lifted or pre-COVID. If you're not familiar with Perform Better, they have four locations where they have three-day hands-on seminars, lectures, workshops called the Perform Better Training Summit. There's one in Orlando, Florida. There's one in Providence, Rhode Island, Chicago, Illinois, and Long Beach, California. And there's 64 presenters over the course of those four locations that present to some of the best rehab, strength people, physical therapists, chiropractors, Pilates instructors, a whole bunch of people descend on these four locations to learn from some of the creme de la creme. And I've got one of them in the house right now. And his name is Chuck Wolf. Chuck's with Human Motions Associates. And Human Motion Associates out of Florida, in fact, has been a I would say a vanguard of information when it comes to functional fitness and not the overused term of functional fitness, but true function of the body. How do we tap into it? How do we restore it when it's missing? How do we prevent it from degrading? And how do we get you to your optimal level of performance? And Chuck, every time I listen to this guy, I get not just nuggets, I get gold mine amounts of information. So Chuck, hey, thanks for being on here. Rocky, wow! Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, that was that was very humbling, and 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 thank you for those those kind words. But uh, it's a true pleasure to to see you again and to be on your podcast. Yeah, last time we saw each other was in person in Long Beach. I think we had we had lunch uh, on one of those days when the training summit breaks there, and uh, it's truly a pleasure. And. And so let's just talk right away. Let's just get to the, the meat of the potatoes with Perform Better, the meetings of the minds. There's three other individuals that you're going to be online with, and you'll be answering questions from the audience live and, and just fielding a whole bunch of, of questions. And everyone kind of takes turns, and it's nice to get all the different types of approaches and, and opinions. But what's, what's the topic that you're, you and the others are going to be speaking on? We are doing uh, rehab prehab. Um, strategies for prevention, strategies for for return to work, return to play, possibly go into what we view as some of the etiologies and what causes some of the common injuries and how do we go about managing them. You know, it's interesting. I just got an email from a colleague of mine who's a physical therapist, and part of my business name is is Rehab Fitness Conditioning, RFC, and he was concerned that I was using the word rehab as a person who is not a licensed physical therapist, who is a certified strength conditioning specialist, among other letters behind my name, but I, he, I don't know if he felt the encroachment or he was looking out for my own concern or liability, but when it comes to rehab, how do you define it? Because how I define it is to restore movement through training, but how, how do you do it? Because I don't believe you're not a licensed physical therapist, are you? No, I'm not, but uh, I've, I've had many, many physical therapists in my in my sessions and my mentorships over the years. So um, I truly believe that rehab and fitness and sports performance are getting closer. Uh, they're they're crossing paths, they're they're bridging the gap. The progressive physical therapists are anyway. Let yes. me put it that way. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Some that are entrenched that say this is our territory. You don't do rehab. I'm saying stop right there. Where does rehab start? What can, what's considered rehab? What's considered 
post rehab, what's considering bridging the gap or fitness, because isn't it really all in the same rehab, maybe a little bit more remedial to what fitness as we, as we have that, that connotation in our mind, but we're not diagnosing. We shouldn't be diagnosing. No. Now, no. experience may tell us, I mean, Rocky, you've been in practice, what, 25 plus years or so? Yeah. And, I'm, and, and I've, I've been in practice going on 41 years. Um, there's certain tendencies that I see for people who have had injuries that are, are very common. Uh, our, our strategies have been very reproducible. Uh, we've had common results, similar results along the way. I'm not going to say we batted a thousand because I wish we could say that, but no, we haven't. But I sure know that the strategies that we've used in the past have been effective. And what we often find is in certain tendencies, aside from blunt trauma, aside from acute trauma, but in certain tendencies, overuse injuries, you see a pattern over time. What's the big deal? So now if you can free up a limitation and, and, and help strengthen the compensation, is that rehab? Yeah, maybe. Is there an injury? Maybe there was. Did they go through, did that client or patient go through rehab before? Maybe. Maybe the rehab worked. Maybe it didn't work. Uh, maybe there has to be a different strategy. But we all work together on the same team. And when it gets down to the bottom line, I don't care if you're a physical therapist. I don't care if you're a strength and conditioning coach, if you're a personal trainer, if you're if you're a chiropractor, whomever. If we're not in this to help people get better, then let's get out of it. Well said. Let's, let's, let's be open to each other's ideas and let's get rid of the territorialism and understand that there's more than one way to get to point B or C or D. Well said. You know, um, when I first began, this was in the, 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 the beginning of the 90s, right? So uh, 30 plus 30 years ago or so. And, and the going programs, the, the typical conventional programs in the gyms were bodybuilding of nature, right? It was all isolated. There were machines. There were, we were just doing a lot of open chain stuff. And we're seeing a lot of issues in the tissues, so to speak, the elbows, the shoulders, the lower back. And, and little did I know I was feeding into that by the programs that we're designing. And then along, I, I discovered the importance of aligning posture and how muscular balance is, is a key ingredient. This was something that you had already known and you were starting to uh, lead like the Pied Piper. You were leading the rats away from the, the conventional way and starting to bring them to a new village where they could see the light and say, Oh, you know, it's not just about how the muscles look, but how the body functions that's going to give us really true performance. It's, I bring this up in a long-winded fashion because it's really challenging to go against the current. You have been, you have been swimming, I won't say upstream, you've been fording your way across a river of dogmatic principles for quite a long time. What is that like? What, what is that when you have something inside that instinctively and with research backing you up, you know to be the truth. And it is unfortunate that so many others uh, are, are so much louder at times to, it, that they drown out the truth. And here you sit, you've been doing these, these workshops, these seminars, these talks for a long time. And now people are actually having a, a greater a degree of willingness to listen now because it's more common. But what was that like? Well, it wasn't just me. I mean, there's, there's many sure. others out there that, um, that I owe 
a lot of gratitude towards uh, because they were some of my teachers and mentors, or at least we shared ideas back and forth, and they're still in the industry doing the same thing. Um, where it gets to be fun is, is you'll talk to a professional or a trainer who has that mentality that you just described of isolation, single point of motion. Uh, let me, let me just work what I call the ego muscles, you know, what's in front and I can see that. And, um, or if they, we talk about a certain movement pattern or, 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 or training a certain group of, of tissue, such as the abdominal complex or such as the hips and, and the glutes as an example. And they do the single joint, single plane of motion. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong because let's go back to the rehab for a moment. Sometimes we need to have that and understand that we're a series of chain reactions. We're a series of integrated events that work in three planes of motion, but we're gonna be as strong as the weakest link. If we, by chance we have to strengthen that weakest link, let's do so. If it's gonna be an open chain, if it's gonna be one plane of motion, that's fine. But at some point, let's put the chain together and work in a triplane closed chain or closed and open chain environment. So when we have those discussions and they talk about, let's hypothetically say knee extension to work the quads. Okay, and then we break it down and say, is the, is the tissue lengthening or shortening? Well, it's shortening when you do a knee extension. Okay, uh, when you walk, do you walk that way? Do you walk as you walk with you know knee extension, almost like the- like, Germans and goose stepping, right? Like, there you go, yes. Uh, and, and they say, no, okay, let's just get into a single leg or let's say a staggered stance, an asymmetrical stance, and let's just put the right leg forward as an example, and let's load, let's flex at the knee. Do you feel it in the quad? Yes. Do you feel it in the glutes? Yes. Do you feel it in the hamstrings? Yes. Depending on what we're doing and okay, let's look at this physiologically. Now, does our knee and gait, does it go through and, uh, extension phase or is it going through flexion well it's going through both we have to as we as our heel hits the ground and we start moving forward the knee is going to first flex for a moment and then extend well that knee flexion is really decelerating us to, to from falling forward well the quad has to eccentrically load at that point to stop and decelerate knee flexion well, are you working the quads? Yes. Is this like how you do it with an open chain, single plane of motion, uh, uh, knee extension? And the answer is no. It's, in fact, it's just the opposite. So what I often do, we'll, we'll analyze that movement, but then I often just generally say, look, we all have to communicate, right? We have to, whatever discipline we're in, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, uh, a physical therapist, we all have to communicate together. We have to communicate with the docs. We have to communicate with each other. Know that the quad, according to the book, does knee extension. But then what I say is read the book and do the opposite, and you'll understand what human function is. Because what the book tells us is in one plane of motion, it's concentric and it's isolated. Well, human movement is really three planes of motion. It's integrated and it's eccentric first. Read the book, do the opposite, you got the answers.
Yes, yes. And so we have come for so long with that concentric model of understanding anatomy, the open chain on a gurney, electrify the cadaver and find out what the muscles do. But uh, cadavers actually are not living and they don't, they don't move through space. So, you know, not that we have to electrify a moving body, but we can start to look at it in that way. You know, it's, it's great. I love see, see now this is just getting my juices flowing because we're talking about eccentric loading, three dimensionality and all this. And, and it boils down to two things for me. We can either be landing on planet earth or we can be driving off the planet. And when well, I land on planet earth, what's that? Yeah, no, what, what you were saying, I was just going to say your cadavers don't have to fight against gravity. No, exactly. We have to decelerate what's going against gravity, and then we have to control our mass and momentum in three planes of motion, and you know, cadavers don't do that. There we go. When the feet are off the ground, the body behaves differently. And when the feet touch the ground, all, you know, everything changes. And so we've got two options. We can either be entering into pronation and slowing down mass momentum against gravity so we don't collapse the floor, or we could do just the opposite and start supinating and allowing ourselves to feel the propulsion and lift off of planet Earth. So my thing is, and I know you're just gonna, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, if people can properly pronate in all three dimensional space at every articulation in the body, that means that the tissue is going to load properly. And, and therefore the opposite should hold true too. We should have a joint relationship of, of locking up, stiffening and propelling and supination. So that's where I go. When I watch people move, I like, how well do the joints pronate? Like that knee you were talking about that's flexing and decelerating, that is a pronated knee as far as I look at it. It's not just a foot or a hand that pronates. The whole body has a relationship in there. Well, let, let me give you an example just today. Uh, yeah. I, had, I have a 17-year-old, very, <clears throat> uh, very athletic. He's been working out. He plays uh, football and basketball. He's been working out, he said, for three, two or three years now, five, six days a week, the typical bodybuilding mentality. Uh -huh. um, has two issues going on. One, he's got a bit of a knee issue, and he also has a back issue. Well, we addressed the knee first, and you talked about decelerating flexion. Well, with that, the knee also has to in, in, in loading, decelerate internal rotation in the transverse plane and also knee abduction in the frontal plane. So three things are happening um, or should be happening, but it wasn't on his left side. Well, the reason being is because his midfoot was a bit stuck. Mm -hmm. we, un we, we unlocked that, mobilized it a bit, and he said, I don't have the knee pain as much. Still had some because it was still irritated, but you saw his range of motion increased immediately. So you talk about the knee, you talk about three planes of motion, but I, I, I'm a believer that the knee is the dumbest joint in the body is going to do what the foot and hip and the, the, what the foot and ankle and the hip tell it to do. So yep. let's look away from the knee for a moment. In this case, he had a midfoot issue, a little bit of a subtalar joint issue, and, and we clean that up. Now, the fact remains is that foot and that ankle was also causing his hip to circumduct and the hip was whipping out in the transverse plane when it should have been going to an anterior anterior tilt so l5s1 was getting this a bit of shearing and Cranking those up. are things we have to we have to address 
I love that. I love I, I love being Sherlock Holmes, and I, I have a feeling you do too. It's like you've. In fact, I, I had a, a radio commercial some time ago where I, I did a little impersonation of Sherlock Holmes, and a man was limping in to see Sherlock, and I could tell obviously he's he's suffering from low back pain for when he kicked, tripped over his house cap and uh, the smell of liniment and the and and the fur on his trousers, but. Uh, Basically, he had had an inversion sprain, which shifted his weight, which shifted his posture and, and caused the low back. And that's really what we're looking for is, is, and tell me, this is this is why understanding a person's history is very helpful. Uh, you could not know what's going on in a person's past and still hunt down the clues, like you say, with the midfoot and the, and the talus and whatnot, the subtalar joint, but uh, it really helps with history. So I give, could, could you explain why? Why does it help to understand a person's history of injuries and surgeries and accidents and infections and so on? You live in San Jose, you said, correct? Yes, sir. San Jose, Santa Cruz. San, Jose, San Francisco, right? It is, sir. Yes. If you tell me, well, I'll meet you at Tadich Grill in San Francisco, uh, I need a roadmap to get there. I need the roadmap of, to know what to avoid and what to do and not to do. Uh, if somebody comes to me for in, for for programming, particularly if there's been some injury, I need to know their roadmap first. I need to understand where they're limited in motion and where they're compensated, because typically in in overuse injuries, the side of the injury is not the problem. It's one or two levels above or below, uh, joint levels above or below that are limited in motion, and we have to we have to figure out what's limited in motion and what's compensated. And that compensated site is typically where you see the injury. So just a week, 10 days ago, somebody wanted an evaluation or wanted to come in for programming. And I said, I've got to evaluate it first. And this, this individual has a back issue, ironically. I said, I, I can't help you until I know what's going on. And um, it's just how, it's just how, if we want to understand movement, we have to understand why an individual is moving the way they are, not how they're moving that way. And I can't do that without, without understanding what's going on with them, particularly in the three big movement rocks, as I call it, the foot and ankle complex, the hips and the thoracic spine. Those are the three most mobile regions of the body. If they become limited in motion, that's where we'll start to see a compensation. Typically, since we mentioned uh, low back pain, typically, uh, in nearly every client or patient who has had low back pain. And I'm just saying low back pain that could be uh, muscles and myofascial tightness could be neurological issues. They are limited in one, if not all three of those regions. And you have to understand what goes on at one to understand the impact it has on the others. So um, when somebody doesn't do an evaluation of some sort or movement screen, I think, I think we're doing them a disservice and we need to understand what's the roadmap. Why are you moving the way you are? Yes, that is un unless you understand joint relationships as you do and how a certain movement is meant to be in a, in a conventional gym, say, like you're watching somebody do a, a, a conventional exercise like a lunge or a squat. You understand what joint should be doing what in all three dimensions. So you can start to scope out what it is this person is missing in their movements. Right? How many times have you seen in the gym, 
that somebody's doing a squat, let it be if it's weighted or unweighted, and you see their hips list to the left as an example. Sure. And how many articles have we read in the past when we've seen pictures of the trainer with their hands on the client's hip and trying to keep them centered? <laughs> when that's listing away, something's going on there to cause that reaction. Exactly. It has been nearly 100% of the time that I have seen that, that there has been an ankle or a foot limitation or dysfunction. So if, if the if the ankle isn't isn't going into ankle dorsiflexion, and if you don't go into ankle dorsiflexion, it's going to be a myriad of the cascade effect of reactions into the foot, uh, and the the tibia is not going to internally rotate. Now we see that the femur is not going to internally rotate, the hip's not going to go into anterior tilt, so we list away from that. We have to get back and say, why is that happening? Not just the fact, don't do that. Let's. I'm going to keep my hands here to keep you straight. Why doesn't that happen? You clean up that foot and ankle on the side of which you are moving away from that, you'll see that squat will get better. I've you, seen it for years. And so we're talking from the ground up, but it can also come from the top down, right? Whether it's a concussive or subconcussive injury or neurological stuff going on. Do you, do you, um, how do I say it? Do you care whether it's one direction or the other when you're working with somebody? I mean, obviously, if there's a foot ankle complex, but, you know, does it does it matter that much? Very much so. Very much so, because there's a reaction above that side of the injury. Uh, when we look at when we look at top down now, how is how is an extremity reach? affecting the shoulder girdle, which is affecting the thoracic spine, which affects the lumbar spine into the hips and work your way down. Has there been a compensatory pattern of people just working at their desk for long periods of time because they have a desk job, how that's impacting posture and how that's going to impact uh, how, how the, the, the spine is going to impact the hips. Has there been a neurological issue, something going on in the brain and there's so much New research is coming out uh, on on what the brain is doing and vestibular motion, uh, vestibular function is doing to our movement patterns. That's just emerging, and it's mind-boggling what's coming out. I'm curious. Yeah, I, I know you work with some uh, neurosurgeons or neurologists too. Do you delve into VOR, vestibular ocular reflex, at all? Uh, when when you're dealing with some people, if, if there's a need for it? Um, right now, to be very honest with you, I'm just in the early stages of studying that. Gotcha. Uh, people that I've talked to who seem to have a grasp on it are, are saying they're seeing results. It's a mixed bag of what I'm seeing right now. I believe that there is a relationship. Um, I To be honest with you, though, Rocky, I, I don't feel that competent with it as yet to give an in-depth, intelligent discussion. But I do believe, and I have seen when there is a vestibular issue, obviously there's going to be an ocular compensation or a cause that I have seen compensatory patterns, um, particularly as, as we get older, particularly on, on athletes I've worked with that have had a concussion. I am seeing that. I am studying that into um, more in depth, so I have a better grasp of it. And then how? And yeah. then how do I? Will I? How will I integrate that into my?
programs or into my thought process. Yeah, yeah, it is an emerging science. And uh, there are some people that have been doing it for a while, but yep. uh, yeah, like you said, it's it would be, I think, irresponsible on our part to just take a weekend workshop and come home and start doing things that are messing with your neurology. I'd, I'd much rather deal with joints, which, by the way, we haven't really touched upon muscles. I mean, you brought up the quadriceps when we were talking about the knee, but what you have been talking about with human movement is actually bony structures and, and joint mechanics because, and, and I know why, but why do you focus on the joint and not uh, individual muscles? Well, when I, muscles help stabilize joints. And if you really think about it, joints shouldn't be touching. Joints are just these floating struts out there that the muscles help stabilize. And if the muscles maintain their, their, their integrity and their function, they'll keep those, those bony segments apart so the joint can function properly. At the same time, I have to know what the, where the tissues connect both in an origin as well as insertion perspective. Yes, I want to know that, but at least in my thought process, I want to know what the adjacent tissue is. And what I mean by that, I want to know what tissue is, a, is adjacent to a particular tissue, such as the quadriceps or the, or the hamstrings. Um, so when I look at the soft tissue, I need to understand what their function is but I also want to know what their their fascial relationships are. And with that, when I palpate and I'm able to just help facilitate movement, I also want to know the tissue tension. I want to feel how hydrated the tissues are and if there are any trigger points and what the tissue tension is, is like through the tissue. Because when that's restrictive, that's where it's going to compress joints or when the joint moves and the joints limited, particularly when you look at somebody who's competitive, um, they're going to try and go beyond their thresholds. They're going to compensate even more. So for, for example, um, let's, let's look at the hamstring as an example. Well, the hamstring attaches to the issue of tuberosity, but also attaches down at the tibial condyles. And how many times have people said that they complain of tight hamstrings? Uh, but if I'll put them, on, if I put them on a table and I just go through their range of motion, hamstrings are, are, are pretty mobile. Not everybody. I'm talking about in many scenarios that I've seen. Well, now I'm looking at pelvic alignment, and if the pelvis is anteriorly tilted, we know that the issue of tuberosity is the origin of the hamstring. Where does that issue of tuberosity go when there's an anterior pelvic tilt? It's going to go upward when it's going to put more tissue tension and length upon the hamstring. Okay, well, then do I really want to stretch the, a stretched tissue? Probably not. Let's add to it even further that by chance that individual may have a um, rear foot control problem. And let's just call it for the moment a plainest foot or a flat foot. Now, flat feet aren't necessarily flat feet. There's many flat, what appears to be a flat foot that I've seen a, a good arch. It's a compensatory pattern that it's a rear foot compensation. But either way, the calcaneus is everted, which is going to take the tibia and internally rotate it. What's that going to do to the tissue then? 
you've stretched it above and you're also now rotated a bit hamstrings do control rotation but now you've got this tissue that's that's long and taut it's not short and tight and abdominals are that way the 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 deep hip flexors are that way the lats and the shoulder girdle how many times do you have people that come to you and say you know, rocky i've got such pain they, they, they walk into you after coming from their desk and they're short in the hip flexors and they're tight in the abdominals and their pecs and they're kyphotic and they've got protracted scapula and they say rocky my shoulders in between my shoulders i'm just I, i've got so much i'm so tight back there when they're really long and taut and the tissue stretched and i heard a colleague of mine uh coach ta trevor anderson say something a few weeks back and i loved it uh, stretch what you can see and strengthen what you can't yeah here we go okay stretch so, strengthen the, the more intrinsic and and stretch the superficial for the, yeah. the, the more topical and stretch the hip flexors stretch the abdominals stretch the pec stretch the anterior delt strengthen the periscapular musculature strengthen the posterior shoulder uh, uh musculature strengthen the lats strengthen the glutes makes all the sense in the world it totally does yeah i think if i if you know where a joint should go in a certain movement then and it does then you can be pretty well um convinced that the muscle tissue surrounding that joint is going to behave how it, it should behave if that if that joint moves in a in a way that is just missing the mark maybe it's not traveling the transverse plane enough maybe there's not enough frontal plane whatever the case may be then you can start to, to understand what that tissue surrounding it is going through. And you can start to target uh, rehydrating, lengthening, shortening, loading, or, or unloading, whatever the case needs to be for that particular uh, event. Well, so, here's what's interesting, though, because you, you mentioned two, two planes that I find pretty interesting. That's the frontal and transverse plane. And let's look, talk about the hip in particular. Um, if... When I see somebody walk and they don't have much hip adduction at all, we can just stop right there. Because if you are tight in the frontal plane, I'll guarantee you you're going to be tight in the transverse plane. And so Why? many trainers see that their their clients are tight, or I see it in athletes all the time, and they have difficulty rotating into a hip. Well, that's, so I say, okay, let's let's stay away from this for a bit but let's lengthen you in the frontal plane. They said, well, I need to rotate. And I see this in pictures all the time. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment because it's near and dear to my heart. But if you're tight in the frontal plane, if your hip is tight in adduction, you guarantee will be tight into internal rotation of that hip. So why do we want to take a client and rotate them, particularly if they're trying to rotate and now we start to see some of that feather up into the lumbar spine? stay away from rotation for a bit and let's work them in the frontal plane maybe as they do a, 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 a an adduction shift or if they do a frontal plane lunge a side lunge maybe i'll have them internally rotate their foot just a bit just to influence and feather the transverse plane but i need to gain that motion first you gain that you're going to see better transverse plane motion and the reason i bring this up is for about the last we're going on six years now i've been doing a study on tommy john injuries ucl injuries i played baseball way back in the day uh i i'm blessed to not only have played some minor league ball but but 
understanding the throwing motion and the biomechanics of throwing with the, my understanding of biomechanics, I could just have a heyday. I just, I just geek out working with pitchers who have shoulder or elbow problems. And what I found is that the ball players have had shoulder injury, nearly 70%, 68.9% of the elbow, I'm sorry, not shoulder, elbow injuries that I've evaluated, they've had less than 30 degrees of internal rotation of the opposite hip of their throwing arm. Do you think that's coincidental? Not anymore. Not when I see it to that degree. And we free them up. And why does that happen? Because of the fascial relationships of the opposite glute into the opposite shoulder into the, into the arm. And the elbow now becomes the upper extremity version of the knee. And we start to see lack of motion on the opposite side into the lat, tightness in the shoulder girdle, which is the hip up here, and I'll see that the, fe that the humerus goes into internal rotation further and faster than the radius and ulna, which is similar to the tibia and fibula. Mm -hmm. So we free up that hip, work on their throwing mechanics. And this is aside from what their throwing mechanics, how lousy they may be. They may be drifting. They may be long. They may be late in hand separation. They may be overstriding. That's just complicating or I should say compounding the matter of the fact that they are tight in that hip opposite the elbow. So we have to understand what's the relationship of the tissues and how they work in three planes of motion. How often do you find that their skills are impaired when you start to free up restricted areas? Because that's been a question to me from people, from, from guests on the show as well, or, or podcasts that I've been on, I say, when, when you start to bring people back into a more centrated place, does, does that affect their golf swing or their, their ball throwing? And I say, you know, it, the, anything's possible, but the experience that I had, it only improves it. The very rare occurrence will I have somebody come in and say, that really messed up my golf swing. I'm going to, I'm reworking it right now. What do you find? Um, there's a step in between or two steps in between that I, that I see first. First of all, when let's say we free up a hip as an example. Sure. And they do have greater range of motion now. Do they have the ability to increase, to control that increased range of motion? And in many cases, I see that they don't. So we have to regress that to just get them a bit stronger get them to understand get them to become more proprioceptive sensitized so they can control that increased range of motion we'll go through just it could be anywhere from a few reps or maybe just a day or two of just doing some regressive movement and then go back to what their goal is and that that full range of motion hmm. and aside from maybe changing their grip um on a golfer i see increased distance and increased increased performance efficiency and performance and i see it in throwers too now at first though they may they may lose velocity if you're a thrower they may lose a little bit of distance and that's because they're just getting used to the the proprioception and the timing but they feel more efficient once they understand that one is gained confidence and from a psychological perspective, but two, they control the motion better. 
they control the motion better and they have greater elasticity, do they have the ability to control that motion? And it isn't just control the motion, but also load and unload. You've used those terms beautifully throughout our discussion here. Do they have the ability to load efficiently and unload quickly and powerfully? And once they get that, then their performance starts to become optimized. Okay, you've mentioned something else, which is movement screening. And, and of course, there are some that are extremely popular out there that that kind of coined the term early on as a screening process, but is essentially an assessment or observation as to how the body moves. So however you want to coin the phrase movement screen, you, I imagine, have your own particular processes in which you have developed over the years with the clients and, and, and athletes that you've seen. I'm curious because we've been talking about the rear foot and, and a flat foot may not necessarily be something that is overpronated. It, the whole foot could be fully everted and you actually don't have a dropping of the arch. It's much more of the subtalar joint or, or, or whatnot that's creating that and you don't actually have opposition in the foot. So here it is. Do you have screening processes or assessments for the foot itself? Because there is an area which, which I think you do, but there's an area that few th that I hear from actually have a process. Um, so what do you do with the foot? Uh, I've been told for years that I'm the foot guy in the fitness industry. Oh, good man. Um, I remember being undergrad and graduate school thinking, I really don't need to know what's going on at the foot. I'm just going to program from the calf up. Yeah, it's the only part of the body that hits the ground on a regular basis. Why should you be concerned with it? Exactly. And uh, that was probably the biggest mistake I ever made. I hear that. Me too. Once I started understanding the foot, look, you got 33 joints, 26 bones, and 24 muscles in the foot. There's a lot of stuff happening down there. And we should understand at least a good majority of it. And I like to break it down into just four big rocks that take place that we if we can understand what takes place, it's going to have an impact up the chain. And one is ankle dorsiflexion. Can you ankle dorsiflex? I don't. I, you need a foot? Second. Hold on a second. I, I got a foot right here for you. Oh, I'm, I've got one too. Okay, we'll we'll have matching feet. Is yours a right foot or left foot? Mine's left. What's okay, yours? So is mine. Uh -huh. So I'm not going to. I'm. Uh, Yes, I may just look and see what's going on at open chain. Yeah. But that's telling me mostly what's going on in, at the talocrural joint, at the ankle joint in one plane of motion. What I'll do is try and get the foot in subtalar neutral. And when you evert the foot, so if I evert the foot, the reaction in the tibia should be uh, uh, in, internal rotation of the tibia. You evert the foot that's going to enhance ankle dorsiflexion, but it's also going to create forefoot abduction. So I do it in open chain just to see what's going on. I look at the midfoot to see if, if you can see, uh, I want to see what's going on at the midfoot. I want to see what's going on in the sagittal plane in the midfoot. Mm -hmm. That what you talked about locking and unlocking, that's the part of the foot that needs to unlock and yeah. when i when i unlock the foot there you go you look at the at the tarsal bones uh, the metatarsal bones and the tarsals those have to unlock um 
when I do that and I see what's going on in the transverse axis of the foot, I look at ankle dorsiflexion, I look at tibial internal rotation, I have to see if does the forefoot have that ability to unlock, does the rear foot dive in further and faster than the forefoot, which is going to create forefoot abduction. So I'll do that on a table, but then I get them standing and do a single leg mini squat. If they, if they can't do single leg, maybe one and a half legs, as I call it. So you've got 90% of your weight on one side and you're just toe touching on the other just to give yourself some balance. And I just want to see a little mini squat. I want to see how much ankle dorsiflexion there is. I want to see if the tibia is internally rotating. Does the rear foot evert more so further and faster than the forefoot? So does the forefoot and, and for those out in, in Rocky land, I don't want you to think of forefoot abduction in the open chain, because when we look at movement away from the spine, we look at the distal bone in relation to the proximal bone. So if the proximal bone, which would be the talus and the, and the calcaneus evert, we're gonna see as that goes, if I go this way, you'll see that this is on the ground, the forefoot's gonna go lateral to the rear foot. Because the rear foot is internally rotating. The rear foot is everting and the tibia is internally rotating, but the foot's flat on the ground and the relationship is that the forefoot has gone into abduction. So I look at calcaneal eversion, ankle dorsiflexion, tibial internal rotation, and forefoot abduction. I believe that those are the four main mechanisms of the foot to allow the tibia to internally rotate, the femur to internally rotate, and to to eccentrically load the glutes. And then what about the windlass mechanism on the big toe? Do you, do you look at um, 60 degrees of dorsiflexion on the big toe? Glad you brought that up. Yes, I do look. I, I, you stated 60, I usually look for 45 degrees in, oh, sure. in, uh, in great toe dorsiflexion. Right, the other 15 would be the first metatarsal dipping down into yes. plantar flexion. Correct. But yes, I'm always looking at the first ray. Because what the body's really trying to do when we get down to basics is get the fifth metatarsal head, the first metatarsal head, and the calcaneus. Think of it as a triangle or a pyramid. You want to get those structures stable to the ground, and that's why you see the foot being a mobile adapter. So those are the things that I look at when it comes to foot assessment. Beautiful. Now, I like using... Uh, foam wedges, and I've been I've been schooled and educated on the proper use of these these foam wedges to create that tripod or triangle or pyramid, as you call it, between the first, the fifth metatarsal heads and the calcaneus. Do you use anything in which to change the the sequencing or timing of these contact points to give the brain something where it was feeding information down into that foot where the foot is saying, "Oh, I've I've got a place where I can hit now," where before it took me too long or too short a time. There you go. You got your wedges. I got my wedges here. You're like my brother from another mother. That's what well, you are. We're just, you know, this is Rocky's East over here. <laughs> no, this is Chuck's West. I'll, I like that one better. But yes, I do use them. Uh, I'll post a foot. Uh, I'll post a rear foot, a forefoot, depending on what I'm seeing. Let it be if it could at times be a medial, sometimes a lateral post. And, and just see how the reaction is. All right, we got to contact Chris and perform better and, and have another meeting of the mind where it's the art of wedging 
the body, the art of foot wedging. I think you and I would we have to make sure. Yeah, we got to make sure that we say foot wedging because we don't want to tell Chris you know, the art of wedgies. <laughs> because knowing Chris. Oh, is so Chuck, let's let's talk about what you're doing because we we've been. Uh, I could go on for another hour, but I want to respect your time. But you've got some stuff coming up, and and of course with the restrictions lifting with COVID, your seminars which were put on hold, unfortunately, I have a feeling they're ramping up again. So when people want to learn more about structural integration, movement integration, three dimensional training, assessing the foot, and all they have to offer, how do they do that? You, you lost me here as far as where, where are you yeah you you have uh you've got seminars coming up workshops yep. i imagine like the restrictions are lifted what's, what's coming down the pipe july 11th this this coming sunday uh is idea world virtual and uh, i'm going to be doing a course on the 11th i believe it's three o'clock eastern time uh called uh Interconnected core connections, integrated core connections. And it's going to talk about the abdominal complex and how it how it functions, uh, how it's impacted by extremity reaches, how it's impacted by gravity and mass and momentum. And, and are you are you traveling again to offer offer live in person? This is Zoom right now. This is through Zoom Zoom conferencing. Okay. Uh, any any likelihood before the end of the year? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Any likelihood that you'll be starting to travel before the end of the year? Um, I thought there might be, but with the Delta variant coming up, and I think people are a bit hesitant. I don't realistically. I don't think there's going to be much going on. There'll be isolated events, but um, right now my schedule is going to be mostly um, virtual. Okay. Uh, I, what I am doing is trying to take my courses and, and I'm, I'm making them virtual. I'm right. uh, getting them up online. You can get them off my website. We've got two up there right now. We'll, we're working on the third one. And your web address, what's, what's your website? Uh, Human Motion Associates. That's the name of my company, humanmotionassociates.com. I'll put that in the description below the podcast so everybody can get it. And, uh, and everyone's, uh, well, not everybody, but are you an Instagram kind of guy? Do you post on Instagram? <laughs> yeah, keep in mind, uh, social <laughs> media and I when, I, when I address or approach social media, I think of my parents and my dad, especially trying to understand my stereo system. <laughs> uh, I, I am posting, yes. Uh, I've got somebody who's very proficient with it that's helping me right now. As far because you know, I post is one thing, but then they ask about well, what about your your links and what about your, oh, your yeah. bio and and what, what connected here and it goes in depth and I said I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, That's what the young trainers are for. Let them do that for they us. They are helping me with that tremendously. So yes, I do have an Instagram account. Um, it's uh, Chuck Wolf HMA Human Motion Associates Chuck Wolf at HMA and also. My website, Facebook, we're on right. Chuck Wolf HMA. Uh, they got me on Twitter now and uh, LinkedIn. So they all connect somehow, I'm told. There you go. Just like the joints in the body, so too will your social media. You know, <laughs> Chuck, 
this this has been wonderful. I can't wait for July 22nd and and to go to the meetings of the minds. Of course, that's performbetter.com. It is free, by the way. And last year you were able to get continuing education units. I don't know if that's the case this year, but it's worth looking into, even if you don't get CEUs for it. If you're a trainer or physical therapist, you're gonna get a whole bunch of great insight. And as well as just like I got it from this hour. I love. I love listening to you. I, I can't get enough. So, hey, Chuck, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on. First of all, it's great to see you, my friend. And thank you for the opportunity to chat with you for a bit. It was good to exchange ideas with you. And uh, and just to know that uh, Rocky's East and Chuck's West, they're, they're both doing well. And, <laughs> and uh, it was just great being with you. And I appreciate the time, sir. You too. You take care. And that brings a close to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. Thank you, Chuck Wolf, Human Motion Associates, for coming on and having a fantastic conversation. Hope all the listening audience enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll see you next week with another episode of Zealous. <laughs>